Last week we kicked off a series called Generous. If you've been with us for more than a year, what you'll find out is every year around this time we do a series called Generous. And uh, the reason is, is we believe that the church should lead the way in unleashing extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world. You know, I mean, just what we sang about, uh, that he makes us new, that we have a God who came for us, that this season that we celebrate, that, that the extravagant love of a gracious God would send his son on our behalf when we were yet enemies of him, that we might have life in him and be called his kids should cause us as those of us who are followers of Jesus to unleash extravagant generosity to the world around us. And so every year during this time, we take time to recalibrate our hearts so that generosity moves from an idea, generosity moves from an event, and generosity turns into a way of living that is just called normal Christianity. Okay? Yeah, started a little intense this morning. Okay, here we go. It's Thanksgiving. I know it just has turkey and stuff in and all that good stuff. And you're like, I'm just waking up this morning, honestly. And that's why we start and entitle. I mean, we're not, we're not even creative about what we, we call it generous every year, you know? Generous. Because we have a generous God. And so one of the things that we do as a church is we do something called the Generous Campaign around this season and through the month of December, invite everyone to participate. Uh, because even if you're not a churchgoer, a Jesus follower, we want to get around something that is of great need around the world that we can all agree on and say, hey, we can all be a part of this together. In years past, a couple years past, we've built four wells for uh, communities that did not have clean drinking water. This year, uh, in, uh, in Haiti, in the third world country, in this area uh, that I, I've had the joy of getting to be at, these, we're going to send, by God's grace and your generosity, 100 kids uh, to school this year, elementary school, and then 25 uh, students to university. And changing a culture starts with uh, that of giving them a great education and introducing them to Jesus so that they can be change makers and influencers in their community. And so here's my ask right at the front. You're like, we just got through it and you're already asking me. I knew it. I knew it. Church, they're asking me. I came to church and they asked me for money. Yeah, but it's not for us, okay? Okay, it's not, it, it doesn't even go to us. My ask is that you would prayerfully consider, and maybe if you're not a, a, a Jesus follower, you'd just consider uh, giving to the generous campaign. And the, you can do that online. You can do it via check. You just make it out to Awakening Church, but in the, um, in the designation, just put generous or generous campaign. And 100% of that money goes outside our doors to send kids to school this year. Would you join us and make a difference, not just here, but on the other side or at least just south of Florida, of the world, okay? Okay? That's why we do this. And so we're in a series called Generous, and we kicked it off last week with this question. Why is it that more rarely satisfies? 
If you've been around and you've at least gotten to have a little bit more, why is it that it is so fleeting? That, that it feels like, oh man, I, it, what you thought would satisfy eventually f- fades away, doesn't it? Why is it that more rarely satisfies? And I shared my experience. I began wrestling with this question last, uh, as a teenager, going to a, a Mexico trip and seeing people. And this so marked me, and I've gotten to go on lots of trips since. And it still impresses me today to realize that our culture isn't normal, Uh, you know, of realizing these kids and these families who have next to nothing, who don't have indoor plumbing or electricity, and they make their house by whatever scraps they can find, and yet you see a deep sense of joy and contentment in life. And and so how is it that those who externally don't have more and yet internally have this deep sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in their life, and yet we get to America and more specifically the Silicon Valley? And, and it, more is just thrusted on us. And more, it, more is our anthem, isn't it? More, more is just uh, bigger, better, more, faster, stronger. I'm going to sing the song. Okay, you know, but that is our anthem. More. In fact, our definition of happiness is what? More than I currently have. You ever wondered what, how, how we can be externally have so much and yet you walk around and realize internally empty. And I believe there's this incredible passage, this section of the Bible that that we often overlook, where, where the Apostle Paul, who actually grew up really rich, by the way, really wealthy, had the greatest education. I mean, in our days, it was considered he would have went to Harvard or MIT. He was top of his class. And all of those probably went on, you know, in our day to be a Rhodes Scholar and, you know, uh, maybe a Nobel Peace Prize winner or something along those lines. He had his life radically altered by an encounter with Jesus. And as a result, it left the rich and the educated life to follow Jesus and to bring him everywhere. And on the process, there was a young man that he took under his wing named Timothy. And Timothy came to know Jesus as a result of what Paul was doing. And, and Timothy began to pastor this community in Ephesus. And Ephesus, if you don't know, is this port town uh, on Asia Minor and is really the entry point for all of Asia. And, and And so for uh, Rome, it was a strategic stronghold and where they wanted to use Ephesus to propagate Roman culture to all of Asia. And it was this center or this hub of commerce. It had held one of the seven wonders of the ancient world there. It was filled with wealth and influence and people traveled from all around to be a part, to do trade and to see and visit it. Sounds a little bit like where we live, doesn't it? And yet, Paul says something that I think many of you don't even know, if you weren't here last week, was even in the Bible, that God talked about this, and we miss it. And as a result, we get more and yet leave empty, don't we? If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 6? If not, it's in your notes, and yeah, it's on the screen. Way to fix all that, by the way. Can you thank Janine? She's working hard on the slides over there. She was troubleshooting to get all that up. appreciate that. Uh, Check it out because I want to introduce to you a revolutionary way of looking at life. If we can agree 
and you may not be there yet, but you will be there, if you can agree that more doesn't satisfy, then there has to be another way. And some of you are on that search and that pursuit right now, and some of you are still pursuing more because you haven't yet got more to realize it won't satisfy. And yet, and yet, and yet, there is this revolutionary way. In fact, Paul's going to introduce three things. We're taking three weeks. Verse 17, this revolutionary perspective. Verse 18, a revolutionary practice of how we go about living. And then verse eight, uh, 19, next week, we're going to talk about it. And you don't want to miss next week. It's a great one. It, it is, and I'm not saying that because I'm going to be great, but it's the Bible, it's great, okay? Uh, a revolutionary promise. Next week, we're going to talk about why you can't afford not to be generous. At verse 17, Paul gives us this perspective. We hit it last week, and you can pick it up. Uh, if you want to hear it, you can go to awakeningchurch.com to listen to it. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command those who are rich. And immediately we realize this verse isn't for us, it's for other people. And yet, and yet, and yet, if you take the whole world and judge us on where we're at, if you just simply make $40,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of wage earners in the world. And we live in the Silicon Valley that has more and has much. We just don't feel rich. We are rich. We just don't feel rich because we look around and we're spending money like it's going out of style and we look around at what everyone else has and attaining and achieving and going and we, and we realize we're not quite there to the next run because we always compare in terms of richness based on who's ahead of us, not those who are behind us. And yet, in the grand scheme of the world, Paul would say, okay, Ephesus, San Jose, I'm speaking to you. This is for you. Don't miss this. This is too important. Command those who are rich not to be arrogant. Not to be arrogant. Don't, don't think your stuff makes you somebody or put your hope in wealth. Don't put your security or significance in what you have. It's uncertain, but put your hope in God. And we talked about this last week, that, that money and stuff promises what only God can provide. And that's why we leave empty even though we have more. And as a result, he says, he gives us this practice. Command them to do good. Now, I like to think of myself as a generous person. And I think if we asked many of you, as we would say, are you generous? Yeah. What I found out this week is, is there's subtly, subtleties to my soul that I've bought into that I didn't even notice. Hey, here's, you know, uh, I like to think I'm generous, but a lot of times it just doesn't seem like it's the right time. You know, you want to be generous and you see that guy, but you're like, I'm in a hurry and he's sitting on the sidewalk or he's on the side of the road and I got places to be and people to see and stuff to do. I, it's just the wrong time. I want to be generous, but it's just not the right time. Or, or you see a problem or you, you see that commercial, you know, the commercial that comes on with the kids, you know, and, and, and the one that you have to click real quick because you don't want to feel those feelings because, you know, it's Super Bowl or whatever, you know, and you just like, you see that and you're like, I, I want to be generous, but I, you know what, I don't really have a lot. I don't have money. You know, you know when I get the right car or when I get a, the right job, you know, I'm, I'm still in school right now. I, you know, I, I'd like to be generous, but one day, 
It's just not today. I just don't have the time. I don't have enough. And see, see, in practicing generosity, I came across this. There is a myth of more. For those of us who want to step into the life God has designed for us, a transformative life, a revolutionary way of life that actually leaves us filled, where if I read the last line of verse 19, that life that is truly life, that's what we're searching for. You want to experience there. There's a practice, but we miss out on the practice. Why? Because I, I buy in, and maybe you buy into the myth of more. The myth of more says this. When I get more, then I'll give more. When I get the right job, then I'll finally be able to give more. When I get out of school, and I mean, it's just kind of crazy, and it's chaotic, and I, then I'll actually be able to give more. When I get out of the early stage of family life, then I'll be able to give more. When I get, then I'll be able to give. And yet the reality is, the reality is, here it is. Until you're able to trust God with the little and give with the little, you'll never be able to give with the much. Because it's so much easier to give little. If you only make a hundred bucks a week and you just give a little bit, it doesn't feel that big of a deal. You make a thousand bucks and you're like, oh boy, that's, that's a big deal. I gotta help here. And it's the little areas. Because just by, and, and here's how I saw it in my own soul. I have or had an amazing, beautiful 2005 Honda Element. I mean, it's not much of a car. I call it a uh, wimpy man's truck, you know, because it's just a box, uh, and it doesn't go above 75. But I've had it since it was brand new, and I'm approaching 10 years. I mean, this is a long-term relationship, right? I mean, 10 years with my Honda Element, and my wife, whose uh, dad is a car dealer, he owns a, car, a couple car dealerships, which is awesome, but she's like, asked him, hey, you know what? Uh, the Element, she doesn't, not a fan of Element, only has four seats, and she's like, hey, dad, is there any way we could trade in the car that you, we might be able to get something with five seats? He's like, yeah, no problem, just bring it down, we'll take care of it, which is awesome again. Uh, and so uh, we bring it down, and then I'm driving this CRV, Honda CRV, because he's a Honda dealer, up, and I literally said this to my wife, not even thinking about what we're teaching. I had already written the notes, and it didn't even dawn on me until this morning. Oh, man, how subtly we I buy into the myth of more. I said this because my Honda Element, because it's not that new and it's not that cool, and, you know, you can stuff a lot in there, I loan it out all the time. I mean, I just give it to people. I, you know, if you need it, I'll take it. And, and people I don't even know I've given it to, I'm like, yeah, take it. You need a car? Sure. I mean, we have two. God gave us extra. Why? I don't need two cars. He gave me extra, so you use it. And I literally said this as I was driving up. Well, it's new. I guess I won't loan it out for a while. <laughs> Why? You know, when I get more, then I'll get more. But here's what happens. When you get more, you go, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that precious? Isn't that amazing? Oh, no, no, no. You can't look at it. No, it's mine. No, 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 come on. It's, you don't understand. You might scratch it. No, kids, you can't eat in it. You can't even breathe in it. <laughs> Hold your breath. 
Yeah, may, maybe, maybe we won't drive the kids for a while in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just a one-seater for a season. We buy into the myth that when I get more, then I'll give more, but more doesn't make you more generous, does it? And here's what's so revolutionary about this, verse uh, 18. Did you notice that right at the top, Paul says what? Command them. You know why he commanded them? Because it doesn't come naturally for those of us who have stuff. It must then be intentional. He wouldn't have to say this if our natural response of humanity is the moment you get more, you go, hey, hey, I got a new car. You want to drive it? Hey, I got this. You want to have some? Hey, I got this. It is not in our natural humanity to give away what we get. And so Paul says, command them. You know, my kids, I have never had to teach them how to make sure they safeguard their stuff and make sure they get to play with it and don't let others play with it and keep proper boundaries. And you know what? Don't let them play with your stuff. You got you to gotta break it in for a season and then maybe let your, your, you know, your other siblings play with it. Or no, 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 you got to guard it. You know what I have to teach my kids? Share. I got to teach them how to share because it doesn't come naturally. And yet we buy into the myth of more that when I get more, then I'll give more. And it is this perpetual problem. And as a result, we miss out on the promise, verse 19, life that's truly life because we don't step into the practice thinking that somehow it will naturally happen. And yet he says it's a command. You must intentionally take steps to do that. And then he gives us three areas for which we are to align our life around. Three areas that we are to practice and intentionally take, make decisions to put into practice generosity. The first area is in the area of your time. He said, command them to do good. And this does with your time. Do good with your time. I have a buddy in our missional community and he was sharing something and it just so struck me. And it so challenged me. And he was sharing, he went into the... A grocery store, that's what you call them here in America. Uh, he went into the grocery store, and as he was in the grocery store, he walked out, and there's a man there who was homeless, and he asked him for some money and said, hey, man, I don't have any money. And he goes, but I'll buy you lunch. And the homeless guy says, sure, that'd be great. He goes in and doesn't buy one lunch. He buys two lunches, and he sits down on his lunch break and has lunch with this homeless man right there and has a conversation and sits and talks with him right there. And here's the deal. In the area of our time, we never feel like we have enough time. When I get more time, then I'll be able to give it more. When I finally get past this project, when work slows down, when the family life does blah, 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 and it never seems to let up, you don't, time doesn't just happen. You have to create more time, intentionally step into that. And in that moment, in that moment, when he had all the excuses, he has a great job, high pace, high stress. He's, he's got a family, wife and kids. He doesn't have the time. And he sat down with that man. And as he shared in our missional community with us guys this, you could see the emotion well up. And in that moment, what I realized is not one person was changed but two that day. Because he stepped in and said, with my time, God, it's yours. And when you show me what to do, I will do it. 
First area to examine in practicing generosity is in the area of our time. The second is in the area of our talents. It says that. It will command them to do good and then what? To be rich in what? What does it say? Help me out. Good deeds. That word, those words there literally mean beautiful work. It, it signifies this, uh, that, which one, that which one does as a regular activity, work, or occupation. It, it's your talents. It's your gifts. It's your abilities. It's, it's the God-given things in you that come naturally to you. It's the skills that you've developed over a lifetime. It, it's those things. And he says, and not just in your time, but then with your talents, with your energy, with, with the things that God's given you, that you would leverage that for good, that you wouldn't think of generosity just in one facet, but God's given you skills and gifts and abilities and a place of job and expertise and wisdom that he says, leverage for my good. Uh, one example I think of is a guy named Reed in our church, and Reed works at Yahoo, and I mean, this guy is so smart. I, I call him, he's like stupid smart. You ever been around stupid smart guys, you know? You're just like, wow, I didn't understand a word you said. And he, I mean, he's brilliant, and he's, he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff at Yahoo. But here's what you need to know. We have a website at Awakening Church, not because we paid someone to make a website, but because Reed said, I have talents, can you use them? We video podcast this service so that people can watch this later on because Reed said, hey, I can take care of that. Right now at this moment, this is actually live streaming. There's people that aren't here that are watching online and that are being able to be blessed by this community and this church because Reed said, I'll take my talents and my giftings and I want to leverage them for good. See, the practice of generosity, you go, no, I don't, I don't have the time. Or, ah, you couldn't use that, you know. What, what could my skills really be used? And could God ever use my background and where I'm at? And your time, your talents. And then finally, it's kind of the obvious one. It's the one we, we lean into when we think about generosity. It's in your treasure, in your money, in your finances, with your stuff, you go, okay, okay, with, with the stuff that I have, and, and I really want to, uh, we're going to end on talking about how to be real practical here, but what I want to say before we move on to that is these three are something that Paul says right here, command them to be rich, to do good, be rich in good deeds, and then to be generous, willing to share. He didn't say do one of three, by the way. He said, okay, look, look, I've given you resources and money and finances to leverage for good and to enjoy. I've given you skills and abilities to leverage for good and enjoy. And I've given you time to leverage for good and to enjoy. And I just want you to look at those and just simply ask, maybe one of those comes a little bit more naturally to you. One is like, yeah, I, I, it's easy for me with my stuff, but it's really hard with my time. Or, you know what, it, it's easy with stuff that in my areas of expertise, but, but then, you know, with my stuff, I, I pull back. And you just begin to highlight, okay, God, God, what is, what is the area you're working on me where I really need to grow? Because the myth of more says, when I get more, then I will give more. The reality is, generosity is not contingent on your circumstances, but it's a condition of the heart. 
It's not about getting more. It's not about somehow uh, finally being there. It's saying there is a heart condition that is true in me so that it is no longer an event or something I do. It is a way of life that exudes from me to those around me so that the people who know me think of me as generous, as kind, as winsome, as loving, that I'm generous with my words. I'm generous, I'm generous in my estimations of others. I'm generous with my thoughts. It is something that flows from you because it starts at the source, your heart. And here's what I find. Here's what I find in this area for most of us. We would say we're willing to share. Did you notice that line? For those of us, you know, generous and willing to share. I'm like, I'm willing. But another translation says it this way. The ESV says it this way. Prepared to share. There's a difference between will, being willing and being prepared, isn't there? There's a, there's a massive difference than having good intentions or making a great decision. I'm willing, but I'm just not prepared. And so I want to take a, uh, just a little bit and talk about what does it look like to be prepared to be generous. And the first thing is just a way that you see life. And it's simply this. God owns it all. You are simply a steward. To be prepared, to be willing and prepared to be a generous person, you first got to realize everything that I have and everything that I own is not actually mine. It is an entrustment from the God of the universe. I love what Psalm 24 says here. It says, The earth and the Lord, and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God, you know, in our verse says, God who richly provides you with everything, your time, those skills. It says it's God's. I'm just simply a steward. I'm a manager of what God has entrusted to me. I remember years ago, I was teaching on on generosity and on finances, and I had this great idea that I was going to, I thought, man, this would be a great illustration. So I took out of the bank, I didn't even ask my wife, I took $100 out of the bank, which is a large sum of money for us, especially back then, and, and I took that out, and I said, okay, I picked two guy, people, a guy and a girl, and I gave them 50 bucks, and I said, I want you to do the greatest amount of good for the most amount of people. I'm giving you $50, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to share, and we're going to applaud, and it's going to be great, and you know, people are going to cry and come to Jesus, and it's going to be amazing amazing, you know, the whole deal. And, and so I give them $50, and each of them, the girl comes back, and she shares. And I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. And she shared this incredible story of what she did with the money and how many people she helped. And then the guy didn't show up. And then I saw him the w- next week or a couple weeks later, and I said, hey, man, um, I just want to check in with you. Um, wh- what'd you do with my money? And he looks at me, kind of like, oh, I mean, as nonchalant, and he's like, yeah, I just spent it on some stuff. Like, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really pay attention. I mean, I bought lunch. I, mean, I think went to a movie, had some coffee. I was irate. I mean, I was so mad. I, I literally said, dude, you owe me 50 bucks. That wasn't your money. That was my money. You spent my money on yourself when I said leverage it for the most amount of good for the greatest amount of people. And you took it for yourself. And so, I mean, this is probably not right. This is not okay. It's not godly. Don't judge me. But every single time I saw him for like, I don't know, it might have even been like six months. Like, hey man, where's my money? 
I mean, seriously, I was pissed. I was like, dude, how could you spend my money? Hey, dude, you owe me 50 bucks. I mean, I'm not saying I was right in that. I'm not saying that that's okay. But then I realized, huh, God owns it all. I'm a steward. I wonder how God feels. I wonder what he thinks when he says, I've entrusted your kids to you. They're simply, you're to steward them and raise them up. I've entrusted what you have in your time. It's all mine. I See, God doesn't want your money. God doesn't need your money. He owns it all. What he does want is your heart. And this is where this next uh, area of being prepared is so important. Wherever your money goes, there your heart follows. And it's true. And it's true whether you believe in this God thing or not. And it's true for every person on the planet. Wherever your money goes, your heart will always follow. That, that, that is what becomes your attachment. And so you, we tithe, and we're going to talk about tithing as followers of Jesus, to reallocate our hearts, to realize and say, okay, God, it is all yours, and I want you to have my heart. And I realize that wherever my money goes, my heart follows. And so if I put my money and I invest my money into Apple, man, my heart's going to be following Apple stock, and I'm going to be after them, and their highs and flows and all that kind of stuff. And my money goes over here, and I'm going to spend it with my family? Well, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention with my family. If I'm going to invest it over here, and he says, wherever your money goes, Jesus said it this way, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. He says these are incredibly important when you're thinking about being doing the practice of generosity. Being not just willing, but prepared. Going, okay, God, it's all yours. And my, my heart will follow my stuff or where my money goes. And so you have to and I have to in this. If we want to go, okay, we want to be that kind of people. We want to experience life that's truly life. I'm tired of being in the more trap and doing the myth of the more. It doesn't satisfy to experience life that's truly life. You've got to put God first in your finances. So let me just give you four practical ways to do that. Because this week, this week is the nuts and bolts of it, okay? First practical way, make it honestly. You're like, wait a second, we're talking about generosity, we're talking about giving, we're talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe, Scripture backs it up, Christians should be the greatest employers and employees on the face of the planet. Whatever you do, whether in word and deed, do it all into the name of the Lord Jesus. Work at it with all of your heart. That when people see Christians and they see how they work, they should see us and say, I may not agree with what you believe, but I want to hire every one of them. Because, man, they're honest. Man, they work hard. Man, man you know that they're, they're going to be faithful and trustworthy. They do their job with excellence because here's this weird thing. One of, their, one of those Christians, they were telling me, they believe when they're doing their work, they're not doing it for me. They think they're doing it for Jesus. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? <gasps> Imagine that. And we go, yeah. And the way we work matters. And what we do matters because it matters to God, not just the what, but the how. And go, okay, I'm not going to dock hours that I didn't work and cheat the company. 
I'm, I'm not going to just casually take stuff or, or, you know, I'm supposed to be working, but I'm working from home and I do this whole thing or, you, you, you know, taxes. Well, you know, it's just a little. Ah. You go, no, no. The call of a follower of Jesus in living a generous life, first and foremost, saying, I'm not going to cut corners. I'm going to make it honestly. Second thing is give it generously. And we've talked a lot about this, so I'm not going to spend much time on this at all. But that where you would systematically and regularly begin to give it away. And you just go, God, it's all yours. And I want you to have my heart. I want to experience life. And, and I realize that, that money and stuff promises what only you can provide. And so as I keep searching after that, it will leave me empty. And so as a result, I'm just, I just want to give it away and be generous. And it, it just begins to develop a generous heart. And then save it faithfully. Save it faithfully. This is an area that, that we miss in America. 48% of Americans couldn't cover less than one month's expense if they lost their income today. 56% of Americans, according to USA Today, uh, do not systematically prepare for retirement by investing. Uh, most Americans carry a car note, uh, on average, uh, about $378 per month. That money, if invested by age 25 to 65, would on average accumulate up to $4 million. Proverbs says it this way, that a wise man, a prudent man, leaves an inheritance for his uh, kids' kids, his children's children, his grandkids. Not just his kids' but his grandkids. And where you'd begin to think about, okay, in living a generous life and being willing, but also being prepared, it, it matters how you make it. Make it honestly. Then, you, then, you, then you're able to start at the first, and you give the first and the best. Give, give generously. And if you've never given a tithe, you've never done that, and you're a follower of Jesus, I just encourage you. Uh, and you have the passage in your verse, Micah, uh, where it says, test the Lord, try him 90 days, and you just go, okay, I'm going to take my stuff. I'm going to just start with, and maybe some of you, you're so leveraged in debt, you can't do 10%. You just, I'd start with 1%. Start somewhere and just start to test God and see if he doesn't come through. And then begin to save it faithfully. My parents taught me this way, and I had three jars. I had one jar that said give, one jar that said spend, and one jar that said um, live. And my parents just taught me this, and this is how I learned as a kid. And we don't teach it this way, and so it's not your fault if you didn't grow up knowing this, but we can't live this way. We can't keep going. And so it just started, okay, when I got, you know, 10 bucks from mowing the lawn, I'd put a dollar in the give spend, I'd put a dollar in the save, and then I'd put eight in the live. And I had these little jars. I have one of them still today that I'd give 10, I'd save 10%, and then I'm going to live on 80 and live on less, live within my means. And the final one here is spend it wisely. If you're in debt, get out of debt. If you're in destructive debt, 80% of graduating seniors have credit card debt. 60% of people don't pay off their credit card every month. By the way, 19% of those who filed for bankruptcy in 2002 were college students. We have a problem in America. I love what Dave Ramsey says. He says, he says of people to act your wage. 
I love that. Live within your ways. When you're spending it wisely, you're thinking about, I'm going to act my ways. I'm going to live within the means that I have. Did you know that most, the majority of Americans live on 110% of their income? Do the math. That doesn't work. 90% of people buy things they can't afford. 70% of people have no cash cushion. Spend it wisely. And, and just let me tell you, this is not, I'm, I'm no expert in this, okay? So let me just confess honestly. We're not in debt. We live within our means. But I struggle in like the budget side of things. I know how, okay? And in fact, if you need help, mint.com is what I use. I, and it's really helpful. I just hate sticking to a budget, okay? <laughs> and so it's my area. Whereas as we're going through this, the Spirit of God said, Ingram, that's you. That's what you need to do. You need to get back and start living within your budget or making a budget so that you can be more generous. So, okay, I'll do that. What about you? Make it honestly. Give it generously. Save it faithfully. Spend it wisely. Let me ask you this question. And we'll close. I want to close with a question and then give you a, a real life picture of this. Question here that I want you to ask this week. And, and I just encourage you, would, would you just keep it somewhere? I mean, I, I mean, you don't have to keep the notes, but just cut out that question and maybe keep it on the dash of your car or maybe on your mirror that would just remind you, am I leveraging what I presently have for good? Am I leveraging it? My time, my talents, my treasure. Am I currently leveraging it for good? The key word here is presently. Remember the myth, when I get more, then I'll give more. No. Start today. Start with what you have. Start where you're at. Start with little or wherever God says for you. Am I leveraging it presently for good? If not, what step do you need to take? Michael, if you would come up, buddy, and I just want to give you one picture of this uh, and kind of hear the highs and lows of this. Michael Sandoval uh, has been a part of our church and helping launch our church. Woohoo! And catch you. You saved my life. That was very generous of you. Um, but, but Michael, that was funny. Uh, but, but what I've watched in the Sandoval's life is they model generosity in all three areas. And I know it's not always come naturally. I know it's not always been easy. Uh, but looking back now, and as I can say over the last two years, I've watched them give generously of their lives. And I mean, this is the whole family. This, I've just watched your whole family do this. Uh, I mean, your family is here at 7 a.m. setting up. You, you've brought people into your home and taken them in for a long time because you love them. Almost every night they have people at their house and they just take care and they live generously. Uh, and I'm just always super challenged by it and encouraged by it. Uh, and so I just wanted to ask you, what is it, uh, you know, that, that has been the process for you that has allowed you to kind of begin to not, to make generosity more, generosity more than an event, but a way of life, where you look back and you look at uh, what God's done in and through you, what, what is that? Well, first off, I'd really uh, say it's just strictly the grace of God. Um, I cannot at all claim to have any formulas, any great thing, uh, it's just grace, God's grace extended toward me and my family. Um, Paul writes, the same author we talked, you know, that wrote 
the stuff we talked about today, said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Um, and that's, I can totally say it 100%. So what you see and what you may say, very gracious words uh, that you like and you want to imitate, that's God's grace. The ugly, selfish stuff you see, yeah, that's me. So just put that out there first. But um, where this journey started for us really came from a dark place, a, a difficult place, a place of uh, suffering in many ways. Um, uh, Lori and I had moved and started a business in Kansas City, and it was an utter failure. After three years, we were in debt just couple of years worth of salary, yada, 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 and realized I didn't have a financial problem. In the midst of this, I had a heart problem. And it was in that that I needed to, we learned contentment, that, you know, we had to make sacrifices. Uh, one Christmas, uh, the only reason our kids had gifts was because our small group, unbeknownst to us, somehow got a key to our house. We came home from, the, you know, the Christmas Eve service, and they had come in and just showered us with gifts for the kids. So somehow in the midst of the suffering, contentment, when you realize it's not yours and I'm mad at God for this failure, um, somehow in the midst of that, you embrace it's not mine to begin with and, and we learn to be content mm. in that. So that was the, the launching point um, for that for us. Oh, that's really cool. What, what has been uh, both the highs and lows in living the generous life, because I, I think part of it is uh, some re- realizing it's not always easy, and it and it often requires a sacrifice in the in the immediate. That feels like oh, right. Absolutely. And so, just walk us through what that looks like for you. Well, I think I think we all kind of might tend to uh, gravitate, as as Ryan mentioned earlier, toward one of those things. It's a little easier for us. Time, or, you know, relationship or, or uh, talents to to serve. Uh, treasure and accounting. Our, our, my mother-in-law and father-in-law are staying with us for a few days, and she loves accounting, and I think she's sick. Um, it's wrong. Why would you? She's retired, and she goes, man, I really miss accounting. And I go, oh, why? What's to miss? So I don't get it. But we all gravitate one of those things, toward one of those things, and as I was telling you earlier, you know, to be honest, it should be and needs to be a sacrifice. You know, last week we had uh, Sir Del Mar, and the last thing I wanted to do after church was serve Delmar. Uh, and so it becomes a sacrifice. Um, even the part that kind of comes natural, service for me, I had to make a choice to sacrifice and, do, and give my talents to, to do some little stuff. Um, and, and that has uh, a, you know, kind of a closing thought for me, at least, as I've thought about this. Um, and we've been talking the last couple of weeks. Uh, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that uh, was brought to my attention, and I, I think it really applies when it comes to treasure for me, because I've spent all my life to get to this po- to a certain point where I'm comfortable, and my life is convenient. Um, and I, I've been watching football for two or three days straight, <laughs> and I watch two plays of football and then about six minutes of commercials. And I've been told that I don't have the right car. I'm not dressing properly. I don't smell right. I don't know what else. I, I should have had a beard, you know, you know, working on my Movember thing going. I've been told tons of things that I should have been and need to be. So it's a war to do this. And then we have to come to grips with our heart. And this is what C.S. Lewis writes about generosity. I don't believe one can settle how much one ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, uh, amusements, etc., 
is up to standard for those in the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should do, uh, there ought to be things we we would like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them. That really stinks. (laughs) Now, that's not the Bible. That's just a guy. But, man, he gets it. There's something about being stretched, being pinched, that I do not like. And when it comes to treasure, that's hard for me. So I guess if I could leave a last thought around this, that, that would be it. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, buddy. You bet. I appreciate it. We thank Michael for <laughs> the myth of more. When I get more, I'll give more. The reality is generosity is not contingent on your circumstances. It's a it's condition of the heart. Leaving the question if you would stand as we close. Are you leveraging what you presently have for good? And here's what I'd ask you. Good intentions get you nowhere. It is the decisions that you make that make your future. And so would you make a decision about what is going to be different and how you're going to step in? Maybe it's with your time. Maybe it's with your talents. Maybe it's with your treasure. God, would you make us a church that unleashes extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world, that lives out your love in such a way that that people would go, I may not even buy into what they believe, but I can't deny how they live. God, would you make us that kind of people? And I pray for each person here that you'd give them the wisdom to know what to do and this week the courage to do it. In Jesus' name.